Let me tell you how it will be We'll all catch up on the books you'll see Cause it's the X-Men Yeah, it's the X-Men Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast, episode 229. It is indeed an X-Men episode where I'm going to be going through the next bits of Ten of Swords with Excalibur number 13 and X-Men number 13. And I had tried to record this with my man, Ruben, and we ended up recording for a while, and then the recording did not work out. So I am doing this. That's why it's coming out. A little bit later as well and i will tell ruben right now i'm gonna steal everything that he said while we record it so when he hears this stuff going on and it seems like i'm acting as if it was my ideas and my thoughts that they really were so don't listen to ruben at all but before we go into that let me tell you where you can find us. We are on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. We have a website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com. And we have a Patreon account, Patreon.com slash WeirdScience, where you can go and support us for all the things that we do. And if you do go over there for as little as $1, you'll get a bunch of shows. And one of the big shows that we do each and every week, every Wednesday, me and Brandon get together to do the Patreon spotlight. Two books picked by the badasses of the Get Fresh crew, beep boop, that are on a poll that week on the Patreon. If you end up being a badass, you get to pick a lot of things. The spotlights, all the other shows that we do are put up as a poll, and you get to pick exactly what you want to hear. And this week, they ended up picking Strange Academy number four and Shang-Chi number two. So that's what me and Brandon will be talking about. As I record, it will be tomorrow, Wednesday, Wednesday night, when we do that. And that will leave a couple books for our regular podcast. And with that, I am going to be joined by my man Clay when we end up having the podcast for The Amazing Spider-Man number 51. And he's going to start joining me as well as Brandon for the show. So we'll get a bunch of different voices going. I think that that mixes up things, makes things uh, very much more listenable. It's what we were trying to do with Ruben and his mic and stuff just ended up fritzing out. We had a lot of problems, but because of that, I'm going to be recording these now and we're going to go off now to do the Excalibur a number of 13. All right. And we're going to start with Excalibur number 13, which is chapter nine of 10 of swords written by Teeny Howard art by RB Silva, Nolan Woodard on colors and VCs, Ariana Mayer on letters Champions of Krakow were selected to retrieve swords to participate in a cross-dimensional tournament against the champions of Araco. Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, has been chosen but has not yet found her sword. Not that Saturnine, the omniversal magistrix and master of the tournament, wants her to, dreaming of the day that Betsy fails and her brother Brian reclaims the mantle of Captain Britain. Now, with that, I kind of have an aside where the real fail would be for Betsy to get the sword fight in the tournament and lose i mean this would really be the dream result for saturnine so i don't know why she isn't just pushing that like oh yeah okay captain britain here you go go off you know die in this tournament hopefully and then you don't come back and if you do you're different wrong and you know we'll deal with that while brian then kind of slips right back into 
being Captain Britain, but there's a couple things that have been kind of nagging at me about this whole Ten of Swords. One of the things is I wish that we were reminded, if not have a page with every issue having the prophecy, every issue having the prophecy, and either have the highlighted deal of the prophecy part of the book that we're dealing with at that point. Or if you don't want to have a whole page with the whole prophecy, just put the part that we're dealing with because this issue is dealing with this part of the prophecy. As above, so below. From one womb came two, a hero destined to brandish what the earth had swallowed and an echo doomed to yearn for what the stars hath forsworn. Most people had guessed right away this was both Betsy and Brian going off to fight in the tournament, one of them with the Sword of Might, the other with the Starlight Sword. So that is pretty much a, a given by most people. But yet Teeny Howard wants to kind of play around with this and make it almost like it is a huge wow moment reveal when they both go off to this. It's not that big of a wow reveal. Most people realize or at least guess that that was going to happen. But without that prophecy there, you're kind of, you know, led to believe, okay, we'll see what's going on. But I just wish that they were there to remind us what exactly we're playing with. Now, this issue, I've read all of Excalibur. It is one of my least favorite books in the whole dawn of x and this issue itself one of my least favorite in the whole ten of swords deal and one of the reasons is because it so heavily relies on the excalibur run that's fine for me i've read all those but a lot of things teeny howard didn't set up in a great way then are just thrown in here not really explained here as well and i'm talking mainly about the captain britain corps when they show up with an odd reasoning of what they're doing in this issue only to lead to a big thing with brian and i did like some of the things that happened i do like that betsy and brian are going off together to fight in the tournament i also like that when brian finally does draw the sword of might it ends up he draws it in defense of his family thus making him captain avalon the defender of the Braddock family. I think that is really neat. And it also gives Brian something to do now because in the regular Excalibur book, the, the one of the last times we saw him, he, he had a hoodie on and he was kind of looking at, at the lighthouse and then ran away. We haven't had to deal with him much. And that's one of the things that gets me at the beginning because Betsy is way over the top angry. It doesn't feel like her. It, it doesn't feel like even how Teeny Howard has been writing her in the regular series. I know that you can say she has a lot on her plate. She's trying to figure these things out. You have Saturnine that won't really say, yeah, you're Captain Britain and I love you, all that. Uh, and then the tournament and all this stuff dealing with. I understand that. But she comes off really angry at Brian just to be angry at Brian. She wants him to be in the tournament himself using the sword of might. He says, I won't draw it in anger. And so what Betsy tries to do to make him draw it is get him angry. And it's like a back and forth. No, I won't draw it in anger. Yes. Hey, you're, you just don't want to. I'm going to fight you. No, no, I won't. And it just goes with that back and forth until you do end up having the cool Captain Avalon reveal. But even with that, 
like I said, Teeny Howard hasn't set up a ton of things. And now all of a sudden, Brian is in the book again. And the way that you're going to set up that she has the hots for Brian is for Jamie to just keep saying, yep, you like smelling his sheets. You like smelling my brother's sheets. And I'm like, it's a little too much here. But the big thing in this is the Captain Britain Corps. We saw this weird multiversal rogue corps that Jamie ended up making earlier in the run, earlier in the Excalibur run. But it never was really really like hit home what exactly was going on what they were it seemed like a wow moment to me at least not knowing a ton about captain britain but it was like the wow moment because you ended up having the excalibur team of gambit rogue jubilee richter all then becoming captain britain's in this multiversal way but then we were told that that they're kind of not right well, they return here, and they're mentioned first, like Lady Saturnine says, eventually we'll get a Captain Britain Corps back. That's what we want. She seems to maybe be waiting for Brian to become Captain Britain again so that this can be a thing with him. Um, and Betsy says, oh, we, we already have one. She's like, no, 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 they're not right. They're not right. They, they didn't really take the choice to become that. Jamie ended up making them, and then... You know, the, the little aside, Betsy says, well, I didn't either. And your words, not mine. There you go. And, and then goes off. But the mention of this Captain Britain Corps seems only so that Jamie then can go to bed that night. And this rogue Captain Britain Corps attacks him. They, they show up in his bedchambers. I sentence you to die. He's freaking out. He ends up screaming. Betsy hears this. She's running. Brian's going, needs a sword. Betsy throws him the sword of might again, wanting him to draw it. They go to get and save Jamie, but he doesn't need saving. I mean, this, it's Jamie. He, he's, he's an omega level guy. He is controlling and really knocking all of this core back. And then just like, eh, I think I'll kill one. Maybe Saturnine will kiss me on the cheek for that. And then kills the Captain Britain Jubilee. Just kills her. Well, after that, they're just like, okay, it's an even fight. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They start running away from, why are they running? Jamie, as they went in, had them all controlled, flying up in the air. Seemed like they had all migraines, all that. And then killed Jubilee only then to have this, (laughs) them chasing them. And it just... If you're going to say that this was all a plan behind the scenes, this is the most convoluted plan you could ever make. But I I might have to go with it because while that's going on, you end up having Gambit go and attack Brian. He ends up hitting the Sword of Might and the Scabbard. It's burning Brian's hand, so he has to draw it and then just becomes. And there's no real progression here. It's, oh, my God. The, the scabbard, it's burning. Don't drop the sword. Boom, Captain Avalon. There he is. He drew it. You never see him draw it. He's just there in the stance. And he's like, you know, I draw the sword of my defense of the family Braddock and the life of my brother, King Jamie of Avalon. I am. And then Jamie's in the background. I get to name it. I get to name it. Captain Avalon. All right, Captain Avalon. I like it. I like the look. I like it. I think it's a cool deal with that. I think it's a cool addition with Betsy there. Well, there you have the three Captain Britain Corps members just standing around now. 
and waiting for Saturn to show up. I mean, what are these Captain Britain Corps members, these wrong men? What are they doing now? They're just standing there as Saturn comes and is like, oh, my God, this is heresy. Don't you use that sort of might. I didn't want you to be this. This is ridiculous. But Brian likes it. Brian wants to stick with that. But you end up having Saturn then trying to get the amulet of right off of Betsy pretty much saying, you're you're nonsense. You're no longer. I get to pick who's who. I'm grabbing it. And you end up just having Betsy destroy the amulet and say, you know what? I learned from Apocalypse all this. Uh, you're not going to have this amulet anymore. You're going to have to deal with us and breaks it. And this, oh, you, you're going to pay for that. That's going to be terrible, even though later she says it really doesn't matter. It actually goes into her plan a bit. But with that, you get... The three remaining Captain Britain Corps of of the mind of the multiverse, they get thrown in jail along with Betsy because at dawn they'll be killed as rogue agents, rogue members. This is what Saturnine is allowed to do. You end up having Betsy. They deserve a trial. Well, you're going to have to get one too because you're in jail too. Boom. They get sent to jail as Saturnine takes Brian back to her bedchambers to get busy. Well, then you go off to Betsy, who's trying to get a hold of these other members of the Captain Britain Corps. Finally does get a hold of Gambit, says, calm down. You know, we're going to have to figure out a way out of this before they kill you. Gambit says, oh, the, the rogue version of Captain Britain tried to jump out the window and got real cold. And she can't get warm now. All right, well, we'll figure it out. And then Jamie cuts in. Hey there. What's up, Betsy? I'm going to save you. We're going to get this done. This is going to be great. Just jump out the window. I'll save you. Well, we already saw all this craziness then. And with that, you end up having her jump out and land on a griffin with with Jamie. And they go to fly off to save Brian. Seemingly, in my mind, leaving the three Captain Britain Corps members that Betsy was trying to get a hold and said, I will say, just behind. They're just left behind. And you end up then going and seeing Saturnine saying her plan all along was to give the Starlight Sword to Brian. Now, with all of this going on, it doesn't seem to jive up with the Ten of Swords prophecy, the Ten of Swords whole deal. This just seems to be Saturnine's deal. And and, in my mind, this seems like something that you should wait until after the tournament. Wait until after. And if you are going to try to skew things, like I said earlier with Saturnine, try to just get it so that maybe... Jamie and Betsy go if you don't want Brian to die or just Betsy or whatever. It just seems weird, this whole roundabout deal for her to get Brian, who's now Captain Avalon and likes being that, into her bedchambers. They start making out. She gets out the starlight sword and like, I'm going to give you this. But first, let's start smooching. She drops the sword and that's where Betsy and Jamie show up and see it on the ground. Should we just get it? Should we just run in and get it? I mean, while they're smooching? And Jamie says, I'll get it. I'll pick it up. And then Betsy's like, no, no, no. She just runs in. Again, not a real great progression, but she now has the starlight sword and says, you were awfully confident that Brian would fall in line with you when you wrote that prophecy. The prophecy, first off, is not that crazy, you know, a thing that says, okay, Brian, this, you, that, whatever. It did seem like everybody thought originally they're both going to have to go. 
And like, no, but you didn't think that he was going to draw the sword of might himself and not become crazy and become Captain Avalanche. And now I have the Starlight Sword and me and my brother, we're going to go off and we're going to fight in this tournament. And, and Saturnine's like, oh, shucks, it, ruined again by these meddling kids uh, as you go. But she didn't she see this? It's just so weird. And they do go off. And, and Brian does say, you know, I'm a married man. You know, I was going to go so far with this. But Betsy's like, you were going to go all the way, you piece of crap. But they end up going and they get on the circle, thus giving you a two-for-one special here. We only need a couple more of the circles filled. But at the end, I like Captain Avalon. I think that's cool. I like that Betsy and Brian are going to be able to go off. But just seems like this tension was thrown in to make the issue work better when I didn't see it before. Also, the Captain Britain Corps just seemed to only be there to cause something to cause a fight that would need Brian to defend his brother to become Captain Avalon, and then they just get shoved aside. We'll see how that works out. I do like the art in this. I do like a couple of the things, but overall, I'm a 6 out of 10 for it. It was a little disappointing. After such a good week last week, but we'll go on to the next one. And this is X-Men number 13. It is the uh, chapter 10 of the Ten of Swords. We're almost halfway there. And this was written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mamata Sar, colors by Sonny Gow and VCs Clayton Cowles on letters. Champions of Krakow were selected to retrieve swords to participate in a cross-dimensional tournament against the champions of Morocco. This message was delivered following a brutal attack by Apocalypse's original four horsemen, his long-lost children, which left him lingering on the verge of death. And they've been trying to figure out what to do with him. If he dies, there's going to be a delay in resurrection. I wish that we knew, again, the timing of when the tournament's going to happen, all these things, so we know why this is something that they have to really up the ante and try, you know, pretty much a Hail Mary to get hope to supercharge healer to be able to heal apocalypse and when he is healing he, he's been known to do story time he did this in excalibur when he talked to richter about the eternals all these things going on so he is going to go through story time again and this time he's going to go through the story of akara and how the twilight sword of the enemy ended up splitting the world in two and then having a mutant group going through the portal led by his wife Genesis to fight off these invaders that were coming into their world. And they ended up defeating, defeating the enemy, the enemy that ends up being the Amenthi. And they end up having a meeting with that. And you're going to get a lot of people who were really pissed off that this does end up retconning a couple things. One of the things, the helm... The Golden Helm of Amenth ends up being pretty much annihilation himself. It ends up taking over anybody who does wear the helm, seemingly so that Genesis can end up putting it on during this tournament. I mean, that seems to be pretty much, you know, a given here where you'll have Apocalypse's wife, Genesis, put on the helm to become annihilation in it. But it also does retcon Apocalypse. and. People did get upset. I think that where I often talk about not knowing as much, and some of the wow moments go by me, go over my head a bit, because I am not a long-time X-Men reader or fan. 
I think that because of that, I'm able to just step back here and wait to see how it plays out. This is only like we're not even halfway through Ten of Swords and the stuff with Apocalypse can end up being something that even goes even further with it. I had said immediately when this was announced and we got the prophecy that I think that Apocalypse would end up dying in Otherworld and come back wrong, come back, you know, even more vicious than he ever has been to be the big bad Apocalypse. And if you would go by that theory, it would be something where maybe you'd make him look like he wasn't so bad ass up until that point, because instead of him being this survival of the fittest genocidal maniac he was pretty much ordered by his wife genesis to stay behind and use the survival of the fittest to get a army that would be you know strong enough if the amenthi ever came back and that's what ends up being what everybody is really really pissed off about i i don't mind it you end up seeing more of Genesis, the Four Horsemen, all of that, even Summoner here. But you end up where all of this has been gathering the swords and a lot of the other side there has kind of been left in the shadows. They haven't really been dealing with things. So giving them the badass moment to up the ante with them and make it so that, you know, Genesis is the big bad where Apocalypse was just following orders. Yes, I know that Apocalypse fans... It's driving them nuts, but let's see what happens, because even as the Amenti come to parlay with this, they end up where the whole Annihilation mask, it goes on, and then you end up having him going through and pretty much talking a lot of crap as a test that Genesis just pretty much rips through, and then they're going to go off through the portal again, but tell Apocalypse, listen, you're not strong enough. You stay back. If they ever end up coming through, then we need you to use the survival of the fist. We need you to get people better on this side. We need the mutants to be ready. And that is your job. I, I don't mind this. Again, Ruben, who's a big fan of Apocalypse, was talking with me about this as well. And he liked it enough. He said that, what are you going to do with Apocalypse? You end up not really changing up the character that much. And so at least for a little bit here, you're getting something different, though. Changing up and character progression isn't exactly the same as retconning and pretty much pulling the rug from under the fan. So I do get it. But again, with me not necessarily being this huge Apocalypse fan, you know, I, I'm just waiting. I'm going to play this out and see how it goes. But my biggest problem with this issue is not the apocalypse thing. It's just that basically this is to me a kind of a downer issue with a lot of exposition, another story time deal, but it is big. So I can sit there and go, you know, at least we're getting something big. But I do like then when apocalypse does get healed, realizes, all right, I got something to do. I'm going to go off. And remember, again, the prophecy that we have for apocalypse is a father forsaken, a husband betrayed. An ancient treasure sharpens the death his children crave. And so when he gets up, he is going to go off to get his sword. I need my sword, he said. He's going to get the scabbard, and if, if, or the scarab, I'm sorry. And when you see the story before, when he is fighting in this you know, flashback deal story time, you do see him using 
the scarab, which is cool as well. But he goes off to Western Egypt, the Libyan desert, the temple of the horsemen. And I like the way he even says that he ended up making this whole deal with this sword. He separated in the pieces to honor the death of the four horsemen, his children. But now they're alive. So he says there's, you know. I did this for a death, but now it's going to be a life to go and get it. And he just goes into the temple and or the pyramid and ends up just there you go. You have the four sarcophaguses of the horsemen. He just destroys them, get each piece of the scarab, puts it together, and then he's ready. He comes out and he was talking to somebody as he went in. You see, it's Gorgon says, uh, it looks like a sharp blade. And Apocalypse says it is now watch me as I wield it and they fly off into the sun and again you're getting a badass moment with Apocalypse and everything Apocalypse did doesn't change it's just the MO and why he did it and again I'm just going to wait and see I, I understand people are up in arms there's people who said that this is a zero out of ten because of what you had Jonathan Hickman doing. And people saying also, see, this is what we warned you about. Jonathan Hickman always changes things. He's always doing that. I'm just here for the story. And again, this issue drags a little bit, but it gives you the horseman genesis, the ups genesis. You see, I think it's also showing Annihilation Helm right on her for the tournament. He gets a sword. Off we go. So overall, I'm not that down with it. I'm a 7 out of 10. I'm not that high with it. I thought the art, Mamata Sar, sometimes the backgrounds are not very detailed. Some of the times, you know, just panels themselves, not as detailed as I wish they would be. So that threw me off a little with the art, usually in most of these, you know, Tennis Swords books being really good, except, you know, some occasional blips there of, of personal liking and dislikes that I have. But the art was okay and the story okay retcons a huge character okay and then you go off but i just at this point i want to get to the tournament i think that we have spent a bit too long now gathering swords i mentioned it when i was talking about excalibur the idea that there hasn't been any sort of real problems i i know that problems within a book but not like problems like oh my god that person like if apocalypse died what are we going to do now? We don't have time. We That never happens. And if we cipher, oh, my God, I can't fight. Well, you know, we'll hide you away and send some. But then they don't. I want to see what would happen. I want to see something go wrong in this initial stage to make some tension and make me worried. Because really, at this point, it's pretty much preseason. And, you know, we're now at the fourth game of the NFL preseason. That means nothing. We just want to get to the fight. I mean, really, I, you know, the third game, that meant something where you're, you're getting your rough. We know our Rasa. Let's go. I just need to get to it so I can get real excited and see what all of the hubbub is all about as we set it all up and go with that. And hopefully that does start this coming week with the stasis issue, though I think that that's just going to be the ending of the first half, obviously, it is at the halfway point. So I think that the next round then starts up where we'll actually get to see the tournament, which I'm ready for. I've been ready for that for a couple of weeks now. So not exactly the most positive week for me. 
And what really does upset me about that and scares me a little bit is these are books by the two main writers of this event, Teeny Howard, Jonathan Hickman, writing separately there, Excalibur and X-Men, but they're the two architects of this, Jonathan Hickman being the main one, but Teeny Howard right in with him. And I felt that this was a bit of a down week after last week, though. I'm here for the fun, really. And last week was fun. This week is, all right, let's put our things together, put the P's and Q's, dot the I's, cross the T's, and let's get going. So I understand it's almost like it's busy work to get ready for it, and busy work's never fun. But thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sorry it took a little bit too uh, or longer. I won't say too long to get here. Hopefully it's just it took longer. Uh, maybe at some point I'll try to figure out a way to get the audio that me and Ruben did and release it as like a special edition type deal. I don't know. We'll see. It's it's really bad, but we'll figure it out and we'll do things. But yeah, this week coming up, we don't have a lot of books from Marvel coming out this week. It's one of the least amount of books that I remember coming out for a quite some time, especially since the shutdown. But on the regular podcast, I'll be talking with my man Clay, on Amazing Spider-Man number 51. Me and Brandon will be talking Immortal Hulk number 39, as well as some other things. Black Widow, Sting number one, that new number one by Ralph Macchio, not the Karate Kid, just the regular Ralph Macchio, and then maybe some surprises as well. But on the Patreon at patreon.com slash weirdscience, we will be talking, me and Brandon, Strange Academy number four, and Shang-Chi, number two, if you wanted to get those in as well, go over and check out our Patreon. But thanks, everybody. I'm not going to delay this anymore. Uh, if you have been listening, you can kind of tell I'm a little better. My voice is still going a little, but I, I got it back somewhat. I still feel like crap. I, I don't understand it. I, I never get sick, and now I've been sick for two weeks. I think it's it's making up for lost time is what it's doing. But thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you all have a good week, and I will talk to you soon.